Welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast, which helps you navigate this fast-changing world by bringing you ideas, information, interviews, and insights for being fit for the future. Here's your host, Gihan Pereira. Hello and welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast. This is Gihan Pereira here. I'm speaking from Sydney at the moment. I'm on a bit of a road trip. I've been speaking in Melbourne a couple of days ago. Now I'm here in Sydney and it's this is a high conference season at the moment. So over the next few weeks, I'll be speaking in Perth, in Melbourne, in Bangkok, in Brisbane, on the Gold Coast, and then back to Sydney. So it's a pretty busy time of the year. But as I said, this is the height of the conference season. So I'm doing a lot of speaking at the moment. Uh, and in fact, I'm doing a lot of speaking to leaders. And I'm talking about the skills that leaders need for the future. In fact, the presentation I was making a couple of days ago in Melbourne was to a group of senior leaders in a large multinational company. And they were looking at uh, what skills they, they need in order to prepare their, their teams and their workforces for the future. And it's a common theme because, of course, many leaders are looking at that. Uh, they don't only need to be able to lead uh, day to day, but they also need to be lo- uh, able to look into the future. So today, I thought what we talk about is the skills for the future workforce, because things have changed. In the 20th century, it was much easier. Uh, if you're a leader, you identify the goals for your organization, you describe the jobs that you need to meet those goals, and then you hire the people with the right skills to fit those job descriptions. And of course, over time, people do build on their skills and move into different roles, but they're climbing a pretty well-designed career ladder until they retire. Obviously, that's no longer the case now. Well, I hope that's obvious to you because our world is changing so fast that neither the goals nor the roles are clear and well-defined anymore. The skills that you need for the future aren't the same as the skills you have now, and the skills that your people need for the future aren't the skills that they have now either. And the best people have multiple careers, and not just multiple jobs, but multiple careers over their working life. So what skills do you need for the future? Well, it's impossible to know exactly what skills we're going to need, but we can be reasonably confident that they're not going to be the technical and task-oriented skills that will soon become obsolete because of automation through robots and artificial intelligence. Instead, the most future-proof skills will be higher-order thinking skills and relationship skills. So what are those sort of skills? Well, the Institute for the Future, which is based at the University of Phoenix in the USA, has identified 10 such skills, and we're going to talk about them today. And the way they identified those skills was by looking at six global megatrends and drivers of change, and then assessing the skills that are going to be most valuable for coping with and leading these trends in the future and also those skills which aren't so easy to automate and outsource so that they will still be valuable skills for humans. So let's look at those 10 skills and we're going to look at them from a leadership viewpoint. So rather than just looking at how good you are at those skills, we'll look at how well you're developing those skills in your team. Okay, so let's look at the 10 skills in in summary first, and then we'll look at them in detail. Now, the Institute for the Future doesn't group the 10 skills in any particular order, but I think it makes sense to do so based on how those skills apply to you and how you use them. So broadly, think of them at three levels. The first level are the skills of assimilation. So these first three skills, which are cognitive load management, Computational thinking and novel and adaptive thinking are about absorbing information from the world. So it's about taking stuff in. The next three skills are integration skills. So these are sense making, transdisciplinarity and design mindset. And that's about applying information in the world. And the final set of four skills, which are social intelligence, new media literacy, 
virtual collaboration and cross-cultural competency are skills of collaboration. In other words, it's about relationships with other people. So we've got them in these three broad areas, assimilation, integration and collaboration. You might like to think of it as in, out and shake it all about. So it's taking stuff in, uh, putting stuff out and then relating to other people and collaborating with other people. So let's look at each of these 10 skills and we put them under those three areas. And remember we're doing this from a leadership viewpoint. So the, what I'd like you to think about is for each one of those skills, I'd like you to think about how you're engaging your team with the competence in that skill and helping them develop that skill. And I reckon when you consider any of those skills in your team, you can classify them at one of six levels of engagement. Um, so the first level is expose. So they just happen to bump into that skill from time to time. The next level is enroll. So you make a deliberate effort to involve them with that particular skill. The next level, number three, is embed. So they actively do that skill as part of their regular work. In other words, it's part of your day-to-day -day operations. The next level is similar, but it's a little bit deeper, it's embrace. So with that, it's that that skill is an integral part of the product or service that you create. In other words, it's part of what you deliver, not just part of your day-to-day -day operations. The next level, number five, is evolve, where you're constantly working to integrate that skill more into your team and your organization. And the final level, number six, is extend. So we look beyond just that skill as it operates now to the future of that skill so that you can be fit for the future in using that skill as well. So that's a hierarchy from, from low engagement to high engagement. So it's expose, enroll, embed, embrace, evolve, and extend. So let's work through an example and that'll make sense to you. So for example, suppose you're a leader and you lead a team of software developers and you're thinking about the skill of presentation skills. Now that's not one of the 10 skills that the Institute for the Future identified, but it is still a really valuable skill. So let's look at those six levels of engagement. So the exposed level, what it means is that maybe occasionally you ask one of your team members to make a presentation. At the enroll level, you encourage everybody to make presentations and you give them the support. So you help them design and develop effective presentations. For example, you might send them off to Toastmasters if they need to learn basic presentation skills and confidence skills. The next level is embed, where everybody knows that presenting, uh, either inside or outside the team, is an important part of their role and they all expect to do it from time to time. So they have to make presentations to the team, they have to make presentations outside the team as well. So that's the embed level, where you recognize that presentation skills are important, so you get your team members to do it re regularly. The next level is embrace, where you bring that skill into part of what you de deliver. So you say you're software developers, you recognize as a team that selling the idea of your software is just as important as creating the software. So whenever you release new software, you as a team also craft presentations to sell the ideas to others, both inside and outside the organization. The next level, number five, is to evolve. So as a team, you constantly work with each other to raise everybody's standards of presentation skills. So you all become better presenters. And the last one is extend, where you look for opportunities to gain exposure to new kinds of presentations, such as not just presenting in front of a room, but presenting on video, running webinars, maybe even presenting in virtual reality environments. So you can see as you go through the six levels, exposed to enroll, to embed, to embrace, to evolve, to extend, you're getting a higher level of engagement. And that's what I'd like you to think about as we go through each one of these 10 skills that the Institute for the Future has identified. 
So the first skill we'll look at is a skill of cognitive load management. Now that's a mouthful, but this is basically what we used to call time management. And of course, it's expanded over time to include things like productivity, goal setting, stress management, work-life balance, information overload. So it's gone by all those names over, over the years and over the decades. Now cognitive load management is pretty much the same basic concept, but the emphasis is on the skills of managing large amounts of information. It's about managing interruptions, managing demands on our time and attention, because that's the reality of the world that we work in now. And now many of the traditional productivity techniques that used to work simply don't work anymore. For example, we used to be able to set 12 month goals, but the world's changing so fast that they soon become obsolete. Um, you could shut yourself off for hours at a time to do uninterrupted work, but now we're too easily distract distracted and interrupted and we need to be available to other people so we can't just shut the office door or close ourselves off or go away for days or uh, even hours at a time. You had all your team available during fixed working hours but now they want more flexible working hours and you might be part of a global team as well. And people were happy to put the organization's goals first in exchange for fair pay, of course, but now they expect to achieve their own goals as well. So those are some of the things that don't work anymore. And as a result, you need new strategies for productivity and performance. For example, you might create 90 day projects rather than 12 month goals. You might work in short bursts or sprints rather than looking to find hours of uninterrupted time which you'll never find, of course. You might use collaboration software to accommodate team members who've got flexible work hours and work in different locations. And you've got to find ways to align personal and professional goals of your team members. And on top of all of that, the same strategies won't work for everybody. So one of the most important skills for managing cognitive load is knowing what works for you and then understanding that it might be different for somebody else. And then how do you work together despite those differences? So that's cognitive load management. The next one is computational thinking. Now this is about being good with numbers. It's not just about the current trend that we have of teaching the STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering, and maths at school, or teaching everybody how to be a world-class programmer or coder. It does include some of these elements because it's gonna be increasingly important for everybody to be able to understand, manipulate, analyze, and interpret numbers and data. But it doesn't mean that you have to be a programmer or be really, really good at maths, but you do need to have some skills. For example, as a leader, you probably have some of these basic skills, like basic numeracy, understanding fractions, percentages, currencies and units, and understanding and interpreting graphs and charts, and working with spreadsheets, not just reading them, but being able to do basic manipulation and analysis and understanding basic statistics, such as knowing the difference between median, mean and mode, knowing the difference between relative risk and absolute risk, understanding a little bit about statistical significance and a few basic statistical concepts like that. And even if you've got other people to crunch the numbers for you or you use Google to crunch those numbers for you, you need to know what to ask them to do. And you'll only know the right questions by being skilled at this idea of computational thinking. And also, in addition to understanding numbers and data, this skill also means understanding the limits of data and how to make assessments if you don't have all the data you need, or if you've got inaccurate data, or even in the absence of data. Now, as a leader, you might have some of these skills already because these are sort of skills that are valued for leadership positions. But are you nurturing and encouraging these skills in your team as well? So it's computational thinking. 
The third skill in this area of assimilation is novel and adaptive thinking. Now you might think this is about innovation, and that's true, but that's only one part of this skill. And innovation absolutely is important in our fast-changing world, and that relates to the novel part of this skill. But it's just as important to be adaptive. And being adaptive has these three components, independence, judgment, and decision-making. So independence means that you can face new and unfamiliar situations, and you can think for yourself. Judgment means that you can exercise good judgment when there's no clear answer. And decision-making means that you can be decisive without being impulsive, and that you make wise decisions that you can look back on later without regret. Now, these are important leadership skills, and people who show these skills are often rewarded with leadership positions. So as a leader, you might have these skills already. But many leaders don't do enough to develop these skills in their team members. In fact, many leaders actively discourage their team members from developing these skills. Now, you might say, that's not me, but sometimes it happens unintentionally. It still happens actively, but is unintentional. For example, are you guilty of some of these things? Are delegating a task, but micromanaging it to make sure it gets done the way that you want it? Or delegating a task, but responding to a mistake by taking back the work? Or redoing the work rather than training the person to improve? Or only delegating the easy, clearly defined tasks? Or asking for information, but always making the decisions yourself? or asking for a decision, but then overriding it with your own decision, because you know, you know better. And if you do these things occasionally, that might be okay, because it is appropriate for some situations, but if you regularly behave this way, then you're not, you're not developing the adaptive thinking skills of your team members. Okay, so those are the three skills around assimilation. Again, they're cognitive load management, computational thinking, and novel and adaptive thinking. So now let's look at the second area, which is about integration, which is now applying information to the world. The first uh, skill in this area is sense-making. So we know that we have so much more information than ever before, and it comes to us from myriad sources. And sense-making is a skill of taking that information without being overwhelmed, then sifting through it and finding connections, patterns, meaning, and significance. See, most people, whenever they see something new, they just see the superficial in it. But sense makers go further. So they ask questions like this. What is this an example of? What is this like? What is interesting about this? What does this mean? And how can we use this? As an example, think about Pokemon Go, which is a fairly recent trend. And when it was first released, some people saw it as just another example of young people walking around with their eyes glued to their phones and making a nuisance of themselves. But sense makers see more. For example, if you ask, what is this an example of? Well, it's an example of augmented reality, viral marketing, the freemium business model, collaboration, and more. If you ask, what is this like? Well, it's like online gaming, but in the real world. If you ask, what's interesting about this? There's a lot of things. One of them might be that people who don't exercise are suddenly getting out and walking more. What does this mean? Well, a number of things. People are motivated by rewards. Strangers collaborate for a common goal. It could be the value of free in a marketing sense. And then you could ask, how can we use this? Well, as a business owner or a leader, there are a number of things that you could learn from it. Gamification, uh, buying advertising in the game, or using augmented reality for training, or building your own augmented reality app. 
The next skill is a skill of transdisciplinarity. Some people call this multiple disciplines. See, most people learn one skill in one discipline and then develop deep knowledge in that one skill alone. And they might occasionally need to learn other skills in their career. For example, somebody who's a technician who has to learn management skills when she's promoted. But generally, their core expertise is confined to one discipline. And in a fast-changing, increasingly complex world, that's risky for many reasons. Jobs, roles, and sometimes entire industries are disappearing to outsourcing and automation. And then new jobs, roles, and industries are being created. And then there's increasing competition, which limits the available jobs and roles available in a discipline. And also the large, important problems in the world can't be solved using a single discipline. And that's why the skill, transdisciplinarity, which is the ability to think and work across different disciplines, is so important for the future. People with this skill are sometimes called generalists or polymaths because they can transfer their skills and knowledge across multiple disciplines, making them more valuable and more future-proof. Probably the most famous polymath that most people have heard of is the Italian Renaissance painter Leonardo da Vinci. And Leonardo was known mainly for his art, but he was also an inventor, an engineer, an astronomer, an anatomist, a biologist, a geologist, a physicist, and an architect. And in more recent times, we look to entrepreneurs like Elon Musk, who don't just specialize in one field, but they work and succeed across different disciplines. So as a leader, look for ways to increase the skill in your team members. And it can be challenging because you've got to balance these two competing priorities. On the one hand, you've got applied expertise in one area, which is the area of their regular work, which you're responsible for. And then, you've, on the other hand, you've got to develop broader expertise across multiple areas. And the more time you give them for exploring those other areas, the less time they have for their regular work. But that's a cost that you must accept if you want to foster transdisciplinarity. The next skill in this area of integration is a design mindset. See, so the first three skills we talked about in that simulation area are about taking in information. But it's also important to create effective and efficient processes for managing this information. And that's a skill of a design mindset. It's about designing processes, systems, procedures, guidelines, and the right environment for success. And this goes far beyond, by the way, the TQM, Total Quality Management Movement, of the 1980s and the 1990s. Uh, if you're a manager working through the time as I was, then you're too often buried under a mountain of checklists and approvals and paperwork that got in the way of you getting work done. And even if that had worked as intended, the whole focus was on following procedures, and that's no longer enough in a fast-changing world. And that's why this skill is called a design mindset, not a process mindset, because it is about processes, but it's about designing processes. It emphasizes the skill to not just follow a process, but to assess it, to tweak it, to improve it, and possibly even discard it when something better comes along. Because people with a design mindset are extremely valuable, because they perform well in new, unfamiliar situations. And this skill is related to adaptive thinking, which we saw earlier, but the difference here is that not only can you adapt effectively to a new situation, you can design a process that helps you and other people do the same in the future, reliably, efficiently, and effectively. So those are the integration skills, sense-making, transdisciplinarity, and design mindset. Now let's move on to the last section. These four skills are about collaboration. The first of these skills is social intelligence. And in simplistic terms, this is about people skills. But that doesn't do it justice. Because when people talk about people skills, they often 
are just talking about effective teamwork. In other words, getting people to work together to achieve your team's goals and, and obviously ultimately your organization's goals. Now that's important, but social intelligence goes further because social intelligence is about taking a human approach to business. And it goes further than just teamwork because it's about dealing with individuals as individuals, not just as members of a team who are slotted in to do a particular job. And treating them as individuals means that you understand what they want from work. When the Gallup organization polled employees in 1991 about what they most want from work, these were their top six responses. Superannuation and other benefits like that. Interesting work. Job security. Learning new skills. Good holidays. Working independently. And as you can tell, most of these relate to tangible benefits and perks that are provided by the employer in exchange for doing a good job. But that's changed. Employees now want their organization to develop their unique talents and skills. And a few years ago, the Harvard Business Review published its list of the top six things employees want now. And in no particular order, number one, identity, let me be myself. Two, transparency, tell me what's really going on. Three, talent, discover and magnify my strengths. Four, pride, make me proud I work here. Five, meaning, make my work meaningful, not just menial. And six, support, don't get in the way with stupid rules. So leaders with social intelligence recognize these needs in their team members and they work diligently to assist them. And the best leaders also help team members develop their own social intelligence. The next skill is new media literacy. And in a nutshell, this is about being proficient in using social media and other online communication channels as they are now and continue to be proficient in them as they evolve. And because new media channels are pervasive already, this is probably the easiest of the 10 skills to understand and the easiest to accept as being essential for a future. But that also makes it easy to take them for granted. And some leaders don't give this skill the priority it deserves. For example, you might assume that young people know it already in their personal life and don't need to use it at work. You might even think it is only for personal use and has no place in the workplace. You might say that you yourself and other you know, old people like you can get by without it or that you're too old to learn it. Now, any of these assumptions might be true in a specific situation, but it's dangerous to assume that they're always true. So don't treat new media literacy as something that only young people need to do. It's important for everybody. And also keep in mind that another part of this skill is being able to leverage these media for persuasive communication. So it's not just being able to use them for being able to chat on social media or share photos. It's about being able to communicate effectively and leverage them so that you can persuade and influence. And this skill is all about influence, persuasion and communication. It's not just about using technology for its own sake. The next skill is virtual collaboration. Now we know that technology brings our world and our work closer, but it also needs a new set of skills for communication and collaboration because the way that we communicate and collaborate has changed. For example, everybody isn't in the same office anymore, so you can't just peek your head over a partition and ask a question. People might be in different time zones, so you can't always conduct meetings, even virtual meetings, because you can't get everybody together at the same time. Even in the same time zone, people work flexible hours, so they might not always be available at the same time on the same days. 
In virtual meetings, even where you've got video, it's more difficult to see nonverbal cues in people, such as body language, where they're sitting in the room, and other interpersonal interactions. You can't have informal conversation in the coffee room or in corridor when you've got a virtual team, or some of your team members are virtual and they'll feel left out. And virtual teams have less personal rapport and social interactions, so they don't bond and build trust in the same way as in-person teams working together in the same office. And then you've got people from different countries with different cultures, different languages, different standards of living, different attitudes who need to work together. And then if some people are in the office and other people aren't, then those people who are out of the office sometimes feel neglected. And sometimes they are neglected because they're out of sight, out of mind. And it can be more difficult to train, coach or mentor your virtual team members. And then if you take all of these reasons, then they get magnified again when the collaboration involves people outside your team. For example, when you're collaborating with customers, suppliers or the media, then all of those things that happen in a team situation get magnified. So for these reasons and many others, many teams face challenges with virtual collaboration. But because the need for it is going to increase, it is an essential skill for the future workforce. Now, the tools themselves, the collaboration software, will keep improving. For example, you'll soon be able to use virtual reality for your meetings or your training. But the skill of virtual collaboration goes beyond just understanding the specific tools of the software. Instead, this skill involves the principles of virtual collaboration. Let me share six of them with you. And these are principles that my, my friend and colleague, Dr. Chris Putney and I created, and we outlined this in our book, Out of Office. Number one, use the cloud. The more that you use the cloud for your data, your software applications and your documentation, the easier it is for your virtual team members to collaborate. Number two, show your face. It can be quite difficult working with somebody you don't know and you might never, never meet. So allow your team members to be human and to share their personality. Allow them to share their funny, quirky, personal side as well as their professional skills. Number three, let go of perfection. So let your aim be 80% right, 100% complete. So don't try and control everybody and don't try and control every aspect of the process or the outcome. Now, that doesn't mean that you compromise your standards. It just means that you loosen the reins a bit and be more flexible because you have to accommodate different people. Number four, work to a plan. Be clear about your milestones, your deliverables and your deadlines and make sure that everybody in the collaboration knows and understands this plan. Because just remember, team members might be in different time zones and they're working at different timetables. So with a clear plan, everybody knows their role, their responsibility and the results that they have to deliver. Number five, set the ground rules. Set clear rules and parameters for executing the plan so everybody understands how the collaborative effort will work. Now, this can be as simple as avoiding assumptions. So when you say something's due by 5 p.m., does that mean 5 p.m. in your time zone, in my time zone, or another time zone? Or it can be as complex as creating backup plans for different scenarios. So if somebody misses a deadline, what does that mean? Do you need to wait? Are you going to proceed without their input? or are you going to take some other action? And number six, think global. Because when you're collaborating with international team members, take into account things that are different for them, like time zones, language, spelling, currency, and customs. So that leads on to skill number 10, which is cross-cultural competency. Our world is definitely getting smaller. There are more situations where people interact with others from different cultures. 
So sometimes it's in the same workplace, in the same office, or it could be with your freelancers or your virtual team members. It could be on social media. It could be with your customers. It's when you're traveling for fun. It's in blended families. It's in the media, almost everywhere. And that's why cross-cultural competency is so important. So this is about cultural diversity. And if you want to go further, you can broaden it to include diversity in other ways as well. For example, diversity of gender or multiple generations of sexual orientation. And so to understand this in the workplace, first think about an analogy of how society approaches cultural diversity. Because broadly, this comes down to three levels from least diverse to most diverse. So these three levels are tolerate, integrate and embrace. So the tolerate level, you accept the diversity, but you expect conformity. So the attitude of society is, we'll tolerate your differences, but we won't make any concessions to you. So you're welcome to join in, but you've got to play by our rules. The next level is integrate, which is the, the melting pot society. So it supports equal opportunity, but it, it absorbs the differences. So the attitude there is you're different. That's unfair to you. So we'll help you change to fit in. And now everybody's equal again. And the third level, which is the best, which is embrace, is a truly multicultural society, which not only recognizes the differences, but welcomes them. So the attitude here is you're different. And we can all be better by understanding those differences. So which approach do you adopt, support and champion when talking about diversity in your workplace? And keep in mind that you might have to fight for your choice because other people in the organization might not agree with you. For example, one of your team members might be a highly valued employee who's moved to, let's say, Peru but continues to work in your team as a full-time telecommuter. And you and she are thinking at that embrace level, in other words, the top level, and you want to take advantage of her location to be your local contact for expanding into the South American market. That's good, but everybody else might not be on board. For example, other team members who are kind of at the same level might resent her higher status. Um, HR staff might not know how to provide the resources for her to do this extra work. IT staff might not give her the infrastructure that she needs to work effectively, like cloud-based data and secure connections and high-speed video conferencing. Other departments might resist because that work is in their area of responsibility, so you're stepping on their toes. And senior management as well might not like you bypassing the official hierarchy. Now, obviously, in an ideal world, everybody is enlightened and embraces that diversity. But this isn't an ideal world, so you might have to work hard to make that work. So we've reached the end of our list of our 10 skills for the future. So here's a summary of the 10 skills for the future again. And remember, we group them under three levels. Assimilation, and those three skills are cognitive load management, computational thinking, and novel and adaptive thinking. So this is about absorbing information from the world. Then come the skills of integration, which are sense-making, transdisciplinarity, and design mindset, which is about applying information to the world. And the last four skills are the skills of collaboration, social intelligence, new media literacy, virtual collaboration, and cross-cultural competency. And these are about relationships with other people. Now, any list like this is open to discussion and debate, and that's good. And you might see other lists with different items about what you need for the future, but Start with something, and this is as good a starting point as any, and it's much better than simply ignoring the future. 
So how do you put this into action? Now, as a leader, it's not always too easy to develop these skills in yourself and your team members, especially when you're under pressure and you're facing competing pressure for your time, money and focus. And it's really too easy to defer this until we have the time. And you're fully intending to do so, but you know you've got that nagging feeling in the back of your mind that you'll never really find the time for it. So I'm assuming that you genuinely do want to make this work, but you've got competing priorities. So if you find yourself in this situation, follow this principle. Habit trumps discipline. For example, consider the habit of brushing your teeth, which I presume you do every day. Now you brush your teeth every day, even on the busiest work days, and even though you know the risk of tooth decay, is decades in the future and you do it because it's a habit you don't have to get motivated for it you don't have to be disciplined you don't have to psych yourself up to do it you just do it um, similarly many financial advisors teach their clients the skill of dollar cost averaging and that simply means that they invest the same amount of money in shares every month so when stock values go up the money buys fewer shares and when stock values go down that money buys more shares but the client doesn't have to think about what to invest in, how much to invest or when to invest. It's just a habit. And over time, that builds a powerful wealth portfolio. So in the same way, think about ways that you can turn these skills for the future into habits. For example, you might set aside 10 minutes in the weekly staff meeting for working on one of these skills. You might allocate funds from your budget and put that money aside to work on these skills and nothing else. So the money has already been taken care of. You might emulate Google and give your people 20% time to work on their own projects. And if you think 20% is too high, then choose a lower number. In fact, Google now has removed that 20% free time. But the point is that you figure out something that works for yourself by doing some of these ideas or whatever is appropriate for your workplace and that your team members agree to as well. By doing this, you get rid of the need for discipline. You get rid of the need for motivation. You get rid of the need for effective time management. It's just a habit and it just gets done. So good luck in developing the skills for the future in yourself and in your team. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found something valuable for your personal and your professional life that will help you become fit for the future. And if you did get some value from it, I'd really appreciate it if you could do me a favor and give me a review and a rating on iTunes because that helps promote it to other people as well. And if you want me to share ideas like this at your next conference, then check out my speaking at gihanspeaks.com, G-I-H-A-N-S-P-E-A-K-S.com. And if you want to engage with me in other ways, uh, go to gihanperera.com, G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A.com. And there you can find my blog, my newsletter, podcast, videos, and my webinar series. And they're all free, and they're all designed to help you become fit for the future. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. For show notes, past episodes, and more, visit gihanperera.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.